0: Our guest today needs no introduction. You actually thought I wasn't gonna give you an introduction, didn't you? <laughs> well, hi. This is a this is a Renew Gurus. Um, my name is James Owen. I'm the executive director of Renew Missouri. Uh, a, a, a group that works on renewable energy and energy efficiency policy here in the state of Missouri. Uh, but our guest today is someone you all might know. Uh, he is the co-founder and original executive director for Renew Missouri. And he is also now the director and founder of Solar for Puerto Rico. Am I saying that right? Yep. P.J. Wilson. What Hello.
1: Hello. Hello, it's good to be here in the Renew Missouri offices. Studio, uh, studio. You're in the studio for Renew
0: Missouri. We have to like create this illusion this is here. The production studio. This yeah. is where you produce clean energy policy, right? Yes, this is where we produce uh, hopes and dreams for the future. Uh, well, hey, how are you?
1: Uh, I'm good. It's it's good to be back here. Um, I'm uh, in my homeland of yeah. Missouri, where I one thing I noticed right when I flew into St. Louis and got my rental car. The roads here are amazingly flat. Hmm. They're just so smooth. <laughs> oh, really?
0: See, there's a lot of us in Missouri uh, that think the roads aren't good. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, as a matter of fact, a—I fi- I, I know we we're recording this earlier, but there was a filibuster the night before in the Senate about how we were going to fund improvements to our roads. So I guess from your perspective, the roads
1: aren't that bad. I think it's all relative, and that's what I've learned in Puerto Rico is just trying to figure out what is what is advocacy and what is progress and what is substantial compared to not. It's all relative to the history and timeline yeah. of, what's, of what's happened before. Yeah. You're jumping ahead. I want to get
0: to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're ruining the flow of my narrative here. No, I'm just kidding. You can do whatever <laughs> you want. Uh, running the boards, uh, Matt Patterson. Hi, Matt. Hello, James. Yes, thank you. So, okay, so uh, for all of you who maybe need a refresher on this, uh, PJ, uh, yeah, did uh, help start Renew Missouri. He was behind the Renewable Energy Standard Ballot Initiative push in 2008, uh, had done a lot of work on net metering laws, on PACE, on protecting all of those laws when they came under attack. So, um, yeah, I just want to we'll talk about for people who don't know you and know your background. I mean, um, you started this group, kind of explain why you started Renew Missouri in a nutshell. It's all Aaron
1: Noble's fault.
0: Okay. Erin <laughs> Noble
1: of Straight Up Solar, also on the board of directors for Renew Missouri. Uh-huh. She was with Missouri Coalition for the Environment at the time when I, I met her when she and I both volunteered to help put on the one and only, you know, maybe one of two um, events called the Ozarks was it had a really long name the ozark sustainable living and renewable energy expo in the middle of a field in herman missouri that well, that's not even the ozarks well <laughs> that's herman that, Is that the
0: ozarks that <laughs> okay, i'm aware of okay well i mean we're all like kind of ozarks people here
1: so i, I thought herman was more like mid-missouri anyway sorry <laughs> so i met Earl noble there at that event yeah It ended up being a. There was a thousand people that came over the course of two day weekend to just take little workshops and talk to the vendors at the booth. Somebody sang some music. So afterwards, a few weeks after this, I was going through St. Louis and I stopped by Erin Noble's house and she said, um, "All right, that's cool that we put an event on, but what's it going to take for renewables to actually move forward here?" Right. And I said, well, it's Missouri, so everything's real backwards. It takes forever, so it'll probably take 10 years and, you know, who knows. And she said, all right, why don't we just do it, do it right and get it over with? <laughs> and I didn't know enough to be able to articulate why not. Right. So for those first few years there, it was all about conversations like that. Yeah. With her saying, well, well, where do we need to go? And I would say, we need to go here. And then she'd say, okay, what are the 10 steps to get there? And I'd say, here are the 10 steps. And then she would diligently make sure that we did all 10 of those steps. Okay. That was the whole process of it. So that's how it it started. But,
0: I mean, you you had an interest in
1: renewable energy before that. I had no interest in energy at all (laughs) until 9-11. 9-11, 2001. Yeah. 9-11 happened. I was living in San Francisco. I didn't know anybody. I was staying in a hotel before I started my job there and uh, in my dumbfound state that everybody was in that day. I didn't have anybody to talk to or anything. So I just went to the Borders bookstore across from the hotel I was in and started reading whatever I could and drew my own conclusion that the world would be a better place if we had one less reason for war. Which would be oil. Which would be yeah, dependence on other nations for our energy. Right, and so so you're in San Francisco. I mean, you went to school there, right? I went to school in Los Angeles. Yeah. Oh, you went to school in Los Angeles. Oh, forgive me. You
0: were in (laughs) California. Yeah.
1: To be an engineer, right? Civil engineer. Yeah. Studied.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, so you this is not your path.
1: It wasn't. No, electrical engineering was not my forte. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. But you're from Missouri. I'm from Missouri. I was born in Boone Hospital, right down the road here. Oh, and you were from you're
0: originally from Clark, Missouri, which is in Randolph County, just north of here. Yep. Grew up. You spent some time in Springfield, my neck of the woods. Yep. Family moved to Springfield between seventh and eighth grade. Why'd they do that? I don't think I don't I don't actually think I know this
1: story. They did that because At my, least they're on the lamb from something. Don't tell me if it's embarrassing. <laughs> my father <laughs> was the administrator of special education for uh, Moberly. Oh, okay. And then the story I've been told is that what happened was he was promised a raise. And then Didn't uh, get it. his boss told him, uh, sorry, we don't have it in the budget this year. And he said, huh, we got a lot of offers to go elsewhere. I think the time <laughs> is right. So, so he went to Springfield Public Schools. Yeah. So oh, got, okay. So he became a, spe- a special education assistant there and then okay. worked his way up. So for the last 10 years of his career or so, he was... The director of special education for Springfield oh, okay. Public Schools.
0: I didn't know. I really didn't know that. I've met your dad. I didn't know that's what he did. Okay, yep. that's that's a hard. Oh my gosh, that's a hard job.
1: Yeah, it was def- definitely towards the end. There, it was it was a political job. Um, getting, it wasn't really, but that was right. it, 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 that that was his anxiety. I think is at, at any moment in time, depending on who was in charge, who was the superintendent, or yeah, which way. Yeah, the it's it's, case it's way, scary like,
0: because I mean, superintendents kind of come and go. Yeah, so, all right. And so, in all of this, you also at some point were in the Peace
1: Corps, right? Yeah, I was in the Peace Corps. um, Yeah, between San Francisco and moving back to Missouri, I was in the Peace Corps. So, you had a
0: job in San Francisco, you
1: were an engineer. In San Francisco? Yeah, I worked in the 34th floor of the Bank of America building on a remodel for the tenant there was the Lehman Brothers. Oh, the, the Lehman Brothers. No so, longer. No, but the way I had it explained to me <laughs> is really what, what what that job entailed was demolition of really expensive walls and custom doors and furniture and and, and then recreating the exact same thing a little bit trendier. Oh. Cost like five million dollars. And I was like, really? Is this a good so, uh, yeah, Chump change. This is what everybody does. <laughs> they just throw money around like this. It was like, okay. So then when they were the first financial institution to fail, yeah. Like, you know, I know some places they couldn't save some money. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I uh, you mean you didn't find that fulfilling? <laughs> I, I didn't find that fulfilling. I did <laughs> You know what I did on that job that what? I'm most proud of? Is I tried to find a place to recycle all these really expensive, nice things. Because what they do is every night they bring in a dumpster at like 10 p.m., throw everything in there, take it away at 4 a.m. So I called around all the Habitat for Humanity offices and just tried to figure out something to do other than throw all the stuff in the landfill. Ultimately, didn't figure it out. Like there was oh. no entity that could just bring a dumpster at night, pick it up in the morning, and then take it somewhere and it's sort through it. Technically, stealing, isn't it? Or <laughs> well, and they, there's nothing could arrange. To oh, do okay. that. <laughs> you're like the
0: Ocean's Eleven of philanthropy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't think of that approach. Okay, but like in with the with the uh, Peace Corps, I it's mean, kind of where you got the idea you should be doing like more kind of advocacy work. I mean, that's like how you've always kind of explained it to me. Like because I guess I've always found it. I don't know, fitting that you were working in Central America and some of these very dilapidated countries, and you're like, I should come back to Missouri and do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is like, it fits what I should do in my own state.
1: Missouri is a developing
0: <laughs> Yeah, we're LDC, way. I think is what we're supposed to call it. Are we still supposed to call it that? I don't know if that's like the new word. Is that still a new word? What's it called? ldc a lesser developed country
1: oh <laughs> we're on our way we're a little bit more developed you can't than say third America. country anymore you
0: can't say the third world country ah, okay. i learned that 20 years ago in my political science classes so i don't know if that's still yeah. the case or not and then no one says second world so i don't word. even know what the second
1: world is like <laughs> who knows so, sorry. So <laughs> so, so you are in the Peace Corps. So I was in the Peace Corps. Yeah. I did water and sanitation stuff. I designed a bunch of water, rural water systems that did not get built. One of them actually got built because it was a plantation of Chiquita banana workers. So they okay. paid for the bags of cement. Okay. Anyway, this one system got built and there was no electricity in this town. Yeah, there was one guy that had two solar panels on his roof, and he used it to run his radio. I don't even think he had a fridge. Wow! Uh, and then he had a long extension cord or a series of extension cords that went across to another house. And so one day, I asked him, I "Was like, what's up?" You know, he's like, "Oh, that's my cousin over there," and he's <laughs> so, running an extension cord from the solar panel. Yeah, so his so his cousin could be able to power his uh, his, his radio. radio oh, you know? I see. And the town was just, they were saving up their money to build a, like a three miles of uh, I guess, distribution line, like yeah. a power line to plug into the power grid there. And the power grid sucked there. The power yeah. went out routinely. There was voltage surges that would blow people's computer up. And I just thought, man, I remember how much money they were saving up. And I didn't know anything about solar, but I just thought, man, it seems like you could just buy a lot of solar panels for whatever it is you're trying to save up for these transmission lines. But I didn't have the knowledge or expertise to advise them on mm-hmm. that. I had heard but It sparked of, something. It sparked something. And yeah. I had heard of this place called the Solar Living Institute in Northern California, It's some place that teaches these one oh one classes on solar and wind yeah. and permaculture and biodiesel and okay. biodynamic wine growing and just all the <laughs> sort of things like yeah. that. So after the Peace Corps I I uh, I lived there and worked there and took all these one oh one classes on In this in this place in Northern California. This place in Northern California. Then I came back to Missouri for Thanksgiving. I thought, hey, I've been out of the country for a long time. Right. I'll come back and spend from Thanksgiving to Christmas, all that time with my family here in Missouri. Then I stayed for thirteen years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So this was that was in so that would have been in two thousand four? 2005, yeah. 2005, okay. So
1: you were in the Peace Corps. How long do you normally serve in the Peace Corps? Is that two years, a year? It's it's two years. It's a three-month training and then two-year commitment. It's pretty easy to extend for a third year if you want. Right. But most people do two years in and out.
0: And that led you to this field in Herman, Missouri, where you met Aaron Noble, and that's where Renew Missouri was born.
1: Yep, that's where Renew Missouri was born. I remember I talked to Aaron Noble on the phone a few times, these planning calls, and yeah, we were, the last call I was like, "All right, there's going to be a bunch of people. How am I going to know what do you look like?" And she's like, "Oh, I'm the one who's freakly, freakishly tall. You'll, you can't miss me. <laughs> she's she's a she's tall. She's tall. She's, she's a volleyball star. Star. Oh, no. is she? she went, I didn't know that. She went to Duke on a full ride scholarship. Oh my gosh, she's volleyball. a Duke grad.
0: Yeah." <sighs> I'm going to talk yeah. to her about that. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. Aaron, if you're listening, it's great. You went to Duke. I, go Blue Devils. Um, so, okay. So, wow, I didn't
1: know that. That's interesting. Yep, so you have already learned something on this. An ancient history of Renew Missouri. Do you know why it got called Renew Missouri? I don't. Why did it get called Renew Missouri? Well, after Erin Noble was invited to a gathering of environmental activists to figure out what their policy priorities were in the fall of 2006. Yeah. And she got invited to come explain what net metering is. Yeah. So she invited me to come explain what net metering is. Yeah. (laughs) So we did it together. And at the end of this meeting, the Missouri Votes Conservation, the local chapter of LC, the League of Conservation Voters, right. put on this meeting, and they had these little green dots that people voted on what they their thought, yeah. thought their top policy priority would be. And lo and behold, they, they all wanted net metering, we got like twice oh. as many votes as anybody else. So I'd just been invited there to just explain, do like right. a ten-minute presentation. But at the end of it, I said, "Well, I'm—I mean, I can help remind people to have a call once a week." And yeah. So it was me and Henry Robertson, and yep. Aaron Noble. Yep. And I don't remember. There might have been one or two Those other. people. Those people are still right? around. Henry still around. Uh-huh. So uh, so we created a. In order to just facilitate uh, communication, I created a Yahoo group. And oh, my
0: gosh.
1: I, I well, this it, is ancient uh-huh, history. Yeah, really, really <laughs> a Yahoo group. And we, <laughs> we That's great. It. So I called it Renewable Missouri. Oh. You got or whatever that was. When you chop off product. the apple part. When we needed a website. Oh, yes. I see. Uh-huh. Catchy. So when we went to originally advocate for net metering, it was the Missouri Coalition for the Environment, Missouri Votes Conservation, the Sierra Club, and the Heartland Renewable Energy Society, which I was the... Vice President of at okay. the time, <laughs> they uh, so there was too many too many syllables. It was just a, too much yeah. Of a mouthful. It doesn't roll off the tongue, yeah. right? Yeah. And Aaron Noble's brother at the time was working for some uh, tech company, so he gave us a free website domain, yeah. and we had to choose the name. And so Aaron said, "That's too long, too many syllables. Renewable Missouri. It's got to be shorter yeah. than that." So I, I think it's. I think she came up with it. Actually, it's, like, it's what's when they when it? they Renemo. took the off of the Facebook. it was the facebook it was the facebook for a while
0: okay so like you you start this group okay and so net metering is your first big thing which i think that like that passed in 2007 right it passed uh, like seven months after that meeting okay how did that okay um i'm gonna say this without sounding really dumb but um i find legislation to be enormously difficult (laughs) 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 so how did that i mean how did that work I mean, how is it that, like, from from that meeting, I mean, was that already in
1: process? Were there other people working on this? I mean, what happened? One thing that helped is that Sierra Club had been trying for eight years to pass net metering. Right. And made little to no progress, as far as I could tell. But that was helpful for the narrative to say, hey, it's not like we just came up with this. This movement has been going Mm -hmm. on for a while. So they were trying to do
0: that even when the Democrats were in charge of the legislature. Back was, like, 1999, and I think they...
1: Last year they were in charge was 2002. Mm -hmm. That was before my time. That was before your time. But the Sierra Club have been working on it. They've been working on it. Carla Klein was with them, I think, back in those days when they were uh, promoting that. Right. Anyway, so it was a lot of kind of dumb luck things. So I came to that meeting. Those people at that meeting voted for that policy. Uh, Aaron Noble was involved. That's a good indicator of something's going to succeed. Yeah. Uh, Missouri Votes (laughs) Conservation was well organized at the time, so um, uh, Henry Robertson had some language since he's with the the Sierra Club, so that's something that that, uh, was helpful. He said, I got some language, so I called up the people at the Environmental Law and Policy Center and said, could you double check his language? So they did and gave some feedback and input. Missouri Votes Conservation had a few different bills they were promoting, and they shopped them around the Capitol. Joan Bray... Uh, said that she'd do net metering. And yeah. uh, Jason Holtzman was a brand, oh. new, brand new freshman. State uh, rep back state then. rep. Because he's a no, state senator now. Mm-hmm. He had no experience in politics. He was a high school teacher before this. Oh, really? But okay. He, Did we know
0: that? Uh,
1: yeah. Oh, he knew <laughs> that. I didn't know that. So he uh, <laughs> he he grabbed onto that. He's, he's, he, he liked that concept. He said, I want to promote that. And so obviously, yeah. So obviously like the utilities and the co-ops and everyone... Still hate it. I mean, so how did they? How did you get around them? You know, there was a funny moment there in a meeting in the Missouri Coalition for the Environment office after they voted to have this be the thing they focused on. It was like, okay, well, who, who do we talk to here and get this together? And I asked some questions about the utility. And there was somebody at that, and at some point I said, "Well, why don't we just go talk to the utilities about this?" And there, there was somebody at that meeting that day that just laughed and said, "Yeah, good luck trying to talk to the utility." <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. But it turned, it turned. You know why it happened? Chris Coster had passed a. Um, a voluntary renewable energy standard. The year before, it passed the House, it passed the Senate, and then it got hung up. It didn't quite meet the governor's desk for some totally unrelated. Reason. Oh, really? So it was really that was when Matt Blunt was still governor. Matt right? Blunt was there. Matt Blunt signed the uh, net metering law into uh, somewhere. I have his signature. Yeah, uh, or maybe it's in this office still. I don't know. I hope we didn't lose it in the move. I hope not. <laughs> this is the studio <laughs> somewhere. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, okay, so, so. <laughs> so Chris Coster really wanted that volunteer, voluntary renewable energy standard to pass because he'd already passed it once, and right. he wanted to just get it done, check it off the list. Well, it turned He a
0: Democrat at this point. He was a Democrat okay. at this
1: point because he didn't start out that way. <laughs> he didn't end up that way, or no, he ended up a Republican, right?
0: No, he, he ended up as a Democrat. Oh, he okay, he got elected. He was a, he was the. <laughs> Uh, Cass no. yeah, oh, no, Cass he, County Prosecutor. He, he was a
1: Republican at this point.
0: Yes, and he ran run for state senate as a Republican, got elected in 2004, and then like in 2006 or 2007 he changed. It must have been 2007. And he said he changed because of the stem cell stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also because he wanted to run for statewide office, yeah. and back then it was easier to... Get elected as a Democrat. Yep. <laughs> okay. All Okay. stuff. The good old, yeah the, the, yeah, the good old days. So who knows? Actually,
1: maybe this was part of his plan. Maybe he wanted to do something for renewable energy because that was an issue that would be favorable to vote. Bo- okay. I, I don't know. But he really wanted that to happen. And this net metering bill, uh, we had strong testimony for it. It kind of made sense. I don't yeah. know why the utilities didn't fight it really hard, yeah. but they didn't. Uh, they so, didn't know any better <laughs> well they had fought it hard in the past in the past they had sent people to testify and said solar will kill line workers and they'd they really fought it hard but uh, for some reason I don't know maybe you can interview someone that can explain I I, don't, can't explain, I have but. utility people on here and I
0: mean they're, they're they're great when
1: they come on here we don't we haven't dived into history here like this you know he could interview is Chuck Keisley because Chuck Kaisley was the head of I don't know MEDA if you would talk to me at the time <laughs> yeah he was, okay, so he was like the Trey Davis back then. He was the Trey Davis okay. back then. And he did a really good job of it, I think. Um, w- when it came to this moment in time, there's this inflection point where net metering had such a strong grassroots kind of momentum with it. Yeah. I was in Joan Bray's office the way the, the day that Chris Koster sent his L.A. in to say, keep your net metering bill off of our renewable energy standard bill. Yeah. And I'll always remember it because Christy Manning was the LA for Joan Bray. Yeah. And she stood there and she said, The senator will do whatever's best <laughs> in her judgment. Right. <laughs> I was just like, wow, how did you just do that? So it turned out net metering became more popular than this voluntary renewable energy standard. So it kind of they got they got married together. Yeah. So, so it ended up that I worked on the language with uh, Daniel Graves. This guy that was with the co-ops at the time. He okay. Was, he was a lawyer for the co-ops. Yeah. So it was, and they uh, weren't mad about this either. They had gone, like the deal was made. that okay, oh. The voluntary RPS will pass. And, uh, and it was, that meeting with they where they dot, voted with the little dots. Yeah. Uh, ever, all 50 people at that meeting voted unanimously not to support a voluntary renewable energy standard. <laughs> 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 yeah, because, I, mean, well, I mean, what could have been well, that? Right. Yeah. It's always been voluntary. So passing a law to say it's voluntary would just be yet another example of Missouri saying they'd done something when they hadn't. Right. Uh, however, when this opportunity for net metering to pass came, came up, the, right. the environmental community said, Okay, all right, yeah, let's go along with this. And from my perspective with Aaron Noble, we kind of had this dumb confidence that, like, okay, let's pass net, net metering. And then um, I happened to be in the Capitol the day that Chris Coster turned to Joan Bray and said, Look, Joan, we all know that a mandatory renewable portfolio standard will never get out of the walls of this building. Yeah. So wouldn't you rather have a voluntary one than nothing at all? And Joan Bray said, I don't know. I don't know about that. (laughs) But but it ended up passing because uh, Chris Coster really wanted the voluntary renewable energy standard to pass, and Joe Bray and and Jason Holzman really wanted that metering to pass. Right. So it all just it all just happened. I, I wish looking back on that time that I had negotiated harder for some things. Right. Uh, there because it's I, impossible now. Now I mean <laughs> the whole idea was we could just go back later and make it better. Ah. But it yeah, was, we, I think it was two megawatts was the limit that we've written in there for metering yeah. metering originally, and then it got negotiated down to one hundred kilowatts. Yeah. The only reason it's not less than one hundred kilowatts is that this one meeting that um, Chuck Kaysley did a great job of mediating. It was, yeah it was me and christy manning and 15 representatives of the utility industry Oh, wow chuck kisley he started off that meeting by saying okay let's just let's just acknowledge right off the bat here we know who the sheep and the wolves are in this room and i wasn't used to political jargon at the time <laughs> and i was like who, who what animals are we talking about here? Were you a wolf I don't think I was a wolf. Okay, I think I was a sheep that day. <laughs> no, don't know. He's trying to like portray <laughs> himself as being a sheep. I don't know. I still don't know. Man, yeah, we got to interview him. Do a podcast. Okay, with him I and mean, Chuck K. I, I'm
0: tr- actually trying to get a KCPL person. I'm trying to get Drew Robinson. It runs their renewables, and uh, mm-hmm. they're
1: we're working on it. So be, I'll work my way up to Chuck Hazley. It would be fascinating to hear his his recollection of how yeah. things went at that time. Right. At, at that meeting, there was one meeting that lasted three and a half hours where we negotiated all the details of uh, of the net metering bill. Yeah. The only reason it's not less than a hundred kilowatts is that at the time that we were negotiating that down, I just said, I, "I'm sorry, I just I'm, I don't think anywhere in the nation is less than a hundred kilowatts. I yeah. don't think it would be worse than the worst that is out there." <laughs>
0: But then that led to you had a ballot initiative in two thousand eight for mandatory renewable energy standards, which passed. Yeah, that's the short version of that story. Well yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, okay, so but I mean, did you look at the voluntary thing and say somebody should do a, like one that's actual like a real law and everyone said that's that
1: isn't going to pass in the legislature, so you figured out another way to do it? Yep, yeah, that that was the I was there when, when I was sitting in the gallery and I watched um and I watched um, the conversation there between Joan Bray and Chris Coster, and Chris Coster say, "We all know that law is not going to make it out of the walls of this building." I didn't understand what that meant at the time, but I quickly learned it's because the utility lobby. There was yeah. so it didn't matter, and both of them wanted to do it. But the utility lobby is just too strong. Wow. So my dumb, fresh out of the Peace Corps mind, I said, "All right, well, the only other way to make a law is on the ballot, so we'll just do it that way." Easy enough. <laughs> it was not easy. <laughs> It no. was not easy. Well, how much is but... that
0: – I get this question. I don't think I know the answer. how much did it cost for you to get that done? Because it won. How much – do you remember how much it cost total? I remember every single dollar that was All raised right. for that. I want to know how much does that cost? $1.2 million. Wow. Okay. And that includes signature gathering? Yep. And getting it on the ballot, like
1: having lawyers look at everything, yep. and then actually doing it. But you didn't have any opposition to this, did you? Or did you? Where there was no organized opposition. There was an opposition planned, plan that was circulated. Um, Duke Energy actually did it. Duke Energy worked, worked up on behalf of Amaranth. Really? <laughs> the, the opposition plan for if they were to fight the ballot measure, what was going to happen. They did their own polling, and their polling came back over 70% on that wow. issue. So uh, 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 what really stopped opposition from happening is one day when Ch- Chuck Keasley called me up and said, hey, PJ, <laughs> there's, uh, there's some people asking us to oppose this ballot measure, but it's polling really strong and it seems like it's going to happen anyway. So I'm, I-, I think we're going to support it. I think we're going to have the CEO of KCP and i say we think this is good because renewables are going to happen anyway. So wow. we want to endorse it. But do you know of any other utilities that have ever done that? said, No, I don't. We wanted to be the first to uh, have KCPL be yeah. on the cutting edge and support that. So when they came out with that press release and said they supported it, that just sort of—who you know, was going to oppose it? at wow. that, that time.
0: What's well, weird, next, I feel like Amron's always the one who kind of takes the lead on stuff like that. I don't know if that's changed. I, I don't know if like the whole Naranda issue changed that dynamic that Amron's like. They kind of like go out front for the other utilities. I mean, that's just what I've observed in the past three yeah. years.
1: They're so I, big. I mean, they're, well, they're huge, they're, right?
0: They're, they're the biggest utility in the state by far. Although Casey P&L now is like part of Westar. Yeah. I mean, oh, so did that, did they,
1: that go oh, through? Oh yeah.
0: Okay.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yes, it
0: did. That was that was another story. We, Renew Missouri ended being the only party that opposed that merger, and oh wow, that was it was an ugly couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um did you get something out of it no I didn't I really thought it was gonna work I did I Damn it. I had this great plan you know I get these plans and then they just fall apart yeah, that's what happened with okay. this um so we, no I mean but look they I mean we did we wanted conditions on it and they didn't agree to those and they said well we're gonna do this this and this I'm like we're well, gonna do that anyway <laughs> so why why would I agree to that if that's like what you already oh. had planned? And, and look I mean Casey Pienel, I know I'm stepping over you for a second, but like, I mean they're they've got a lot of renewable energy they use. I mean they like sometimes they're like up to 50. percent So I mean I don't really have like a lot of complaint with them, but you know you could have like given me a condition anyway.
1: <laughs> go on. I remember the fundamental <laughs> part of that story about why why net metering succeeded when it did. Yeah, and it was really thanks to the Sierra Club because they had fought really hard against the ITAN 2 coal plant, yeah, the most modern coal plant to be built in the state. Uh, they had won a court ruling against, I guess it was KCPL, because if they were building that plant saying that they had to go back and do some new permitting of some sort that was going to delay the whole process right. by another year or something. Yeah. So KCPL sat down with Sierra Club and said, okay, what do you want? Mm -hmm. So they came up with this list of things, the conditions that they said, okay, we'll drop the lawsuit if you do this list of things. That list, Henry Robertson still has that list. If you want to interview him someday. Oh, I need to probably
0: interview Henry, yeah.
1: But on that list included developing a bunch of wind, which they're probably going to do anyway, but they committed to do it. I think upgrading the scrubbers on some of their coal plants, making them a little bit cleaner. Supporting the net metering policy in Missouri. Oh, okay. So they they had signed off on that. So they got all
0: that in exchange for like one of the last coal plants to be built Uh in this
1: country. Uh (laughs) But hats off to Sierra Club because it was like a five year legal battle that was fought like the national level. I think there was a big spotlight on it, and that. I've learned that sometimes that's when you can get stuff done is the settlement talks when some other entity wants something and they're there saying what you want. Yeah,
0: I mean, well, look, we always end up, and with the PSC cases, we always end up trying to settle cases because we find that's way better than giving the commission, you know, depending on what mood they're in the the morning Uh on the day they wake up. We don't want to worry about that. We just think, well, we can control this. So I'm always a big fan of settling stuff, if you can. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we took that merger case to hearing was very out of custom for me. That seems like something that you as kind of the revolutionary, wild-eyed dreamer would do. And like me, Mr. Gruff, boring bureaucrat, wouldn't do that. But that's what I did.
1: and um, You pushed the envelope. So that's what happened is that they, they took it all the way and they said, okay, I let the commissioners aside. And they, yeah. Even oh, though they, renewing was very opposed, they just and went they trashed me. It.
0: Oh, they trashed me hardcore on that. And then Scott Roop got really mad at them for trashing me. <laughs> it was great. It, was, it actually it was probably worth it. But, you know, because they, they, they had their CEO show up and they're like, oh, yeah, we think renewable energy is great next day when the CEOs are gone uh, their lawyers are just saying like well you know like James I won this and James I and that and you know it was really it was kind of a weird strategy it worked I <laughs> they won uh, but anyway it's a that's a funny story but so okay so you have these big wins uh, you you've done you did this job for you were in charge of renew Missouri for 11 years 2006. Okay. To 2017.
1: Yeah. It was really me and Ender and Noble as 50-50 partners those, those yeah. first few years. And then she decided she wanted to work in the for-profit sector. Yeah, so that's where she is now. That's where she is now. In up, St.
0: Louis. Straight up solar. Straight up solar. Doing very well, I hear. Mm-hmm. Especially in Illinois, where they've got real laws there. <laughs> I, hear, I hear that there's more going on there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's hard to watch sometimes when you see everything going on over there. But, yeah. I heard rumor that they're working on 100% renewable energy standard, yeah. maybe. There. Yeah, that's, uh, that's legislation going through there. So that's big. Uh, so who knows, who knows what's in store for Missouri? Wink, wink. Huh. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Tune in next time. Tune in. Yeah. Tune in for the next podcast when I just ramble on. So, <laughs> so I kind of wonder, cause like I, you know, we, and we haven't talked much about this job and I want to get on to your new job, but like this job is very hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because this job is, you are, you know, you're the only really, the only group doing this in Missouri. There aren't very many of you. There's like all these different things going on with the investor utilities and the city and the municipal utilities and the co-ops, the legislature, all this other stuff. Um, I have a really good staff uh, that I've, I've we've invested a lot into, and all of you who give money, thank you for doing that. I often wonder how you did it with no staff and no money. <laughs> Well, I'm curious about this because I, this causes me panic every day, and I have all these things that you didn't have.
1: <laughs> Truth be told, in those early days, I was uh, I, w- I was living in Springfield. Yeah. Aaron Noble in and St. Louis, and we were developing that metering mm-hmm. policy. I supposedly was working uh, as a commercial lighting salesman for a friend of mine in Joplin, Missouri. Yeah. Travis Cresswell with Ozark oh, Energy yeah. Services. But I definitely wasn't making much money. Right. That. I found when net metering passed, I thought, okay, maybe I can have a much bigger impact on policy than I would just screw in solar panels one at a time. Yeah. But at that time, I was so passionate about the policy stuff that I was focusing on that and succeeding at that and yeah. charging up my credit cards. Oh, my gosh. I was living on credit cards See, until I pe- first, de- uh, first uh, started getting paid for that work much later. De- it totally terrifies me. I yeah. hats off to you. It was. Uh, it, it, it worked? It's not a way I would <laughs> recommend anyone to oh, no. do that.
0: But, wait a minute. That's what you did in Puerto Rico.
1: That's what I did in Puerto Rico. Yeah,
0: because yeah. I don't want to like gloss over like this like other like nine-year history of Renew Missouri, but I do want to get to you moving to Puerto Rico because that's fascinating to me because you moved down there after this massive hurricane hits this island in our country which sometimes people who run this country forget it's part of our country it is
1: it's part of it's, it's part of our territory
0: country. yeah I, I know all about this because i just read a book about william mckinley and that's like what was part of our deal with the spanish-american war i know i'm really interesting uh
1: so so okay so this hurt what was the hurricane again there was actually two it turns out. There was one called Irma. Irma that knocked out power for most of the island for a right. couple of weeks and they just kind of patched things together and then comes Maria. Okay.
0: So now I know you weren't down there when all that happened, but I mean
1: the grid in Puerto Rico before the hurricane was not great. It was it was kind of like my house here in Missouri when I when I bought it, there was a, a pond in the back that had a waterfall like a, a pump like made yeah. a koi pond yes and I've, i didn't know for a few months after i bought how how is that even how's does electricity get there it gets there with an extension cord that's kind of thrown there on the ground outside that's kind of how the electrical system of puerto rico was and it's a terrifying analogy <laughs> as, as they had uh there's a long report called the final investigative report that happened after the federal government commissioned it to just try and answer that question what happened there right and uh, short version is that as they just lost control financially they stopped maintaining the trees that were growing near the lines and oh wow so when the wind blew it just <laughs> oh my gosh it was that simple really so they didn't have any good maintenance on their yep they didn't maintain the
0: so, there was, I mean, like, was there no, I mean, so, I mean, there's always been, like, a lot of varying reports, and you don't really know what to believe, especially out of the government, but, like. You can believe me, James. I'll believe you. <laughs> well, I mean, was there, was it, like, 100% out,
1: or was it, like, were there areas that still had power? It was, it was 100% out. It, it's gone 100% out a couple of times when I was down there. there was, Sense. There one day, somebody backed into something with a backhoe, and then, boom, the entire island is without Like, a like backhoe just, uh, knocked out the entire yeah. island. uh uh-huh. It's still that fragile so wow, that, that could happen today. But yeah, there was no power at all for a matter of days anyway. And then when yeah. it started to come back, it was very slowly that it started to come Are there back. any reports or like real solid numbers about
0: who would have died? I mean, I know like people can say, well, they could have died from a lot of various reasons from the hurricane. But is there any like reports about like that lack of power, how many people that affected? Yeah.
1: Is uh, there was two reports. I think Harvard did one of them. There, mm-hmm. there was two real reports, and they both said the same thing: it was it's over three thousand people died from a lack of power, more people than died in nine eleven, died in Puerto Rico. Good land because of the longest blackout in the history of the country.
0: Yeah,
1: and these are people, a lot of elderly people, that they just yeah. they couldn't do their dialysis or they couldn't refrigerate their insulin or what oh my gosh. whatever. But just basic stuff that you can't do. and Or people that just didn't, a lot of people got buried in their own backyards because people didn't bother taking them to the hospital because they knew the hospital was closed because there was no power. What a and, nightmare. Yeah, That's that, a nightmare. And it just went on and on and on. People thought like maybe the power will come back on. But after a few months, then people thought maybe it'll be years till the power comes back on. Just no one knew. Yeah. So So you went down
0: there with the idea that Because I remember when I first talked to you when you went down there, you were, like, basically going around. I mean, you were trying to set up a group, but you were trying to deliver and put up kind of packets uh, in rural areas to, like, give people some
1: power source. Yep. That's what you were doing. Yeah. My thought was, well, what would I need if I was without power? And I thought, well, I'd want to be able to power my cell phone and I'd want to not have to use candles to see me. And so I thought, well, that's something at least I can buy on Amazon and put in a suitcase and bring down there. Is something that will charge people. Cell phones. How many of those did you buy at first? When I first went down there, I I took two suitcases worth of it. It maxed out in weight, and it was twenty systems that I brought down there. Okay. And I didn't know anybody on the island. I had an introduction to you. That. Just showed up. I just showed. I, I just showed up. I had an introduction to one. Oh God, uh, this is crazy. <laughs> You're a crazy person. I
0: mean, this is. I mean, it's great. I love it. <laughs> but it's just. I could never imagine myself doing this.
1: So you showed up with your twenty packets and your suitcases. Uh-huh. And I didn't know the situation on the ground. I couldn't. I didn't have anybody to check with and say like, what's really going on. So I also brought with me freeze dried food and a water filter. Like, I didn't know if I'd show up there and just be a drain on the resources. Yeah. But, uh, turns out I didn't have to use those things. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I showed up with my 20 solar kits and I checked into a hostel that yeah. I saw. I found one online and went there and, I had this taxi driver brought me to the hostel and I found it kind of had to drag my bags for a while it was sweaty it was hot and Yeah. I found the door opened the door and then there's this long staircase that I had to go up so I brought this it was literally <laughs> as much as I could carry it. bring him up this long staircase and I get up there and I go check in to the hostel and there was, uh, they were almost done checking someone else in Yeah. it was a couple and the guy came out all in a huff and he said we're going to go somewhere else he was kind of mad and just kind of huffy yeah well, wait a second. I asked him, is there something I need to know? Because I'm checking into this place. Yeah. And he looked at me and he's like, yeah, no power. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I, looked, oh, I wow. looked down
1: at the suitcases that I had. <laughs> okay, I think I will be okay. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do? You just like went out and like, did you, Where do I start with this? How did you go about thinking like, how am I going to get
1: these to people? I 20 were. packets. So Jigger Shaw Jigger Shaw is the founder of Sun Edison. Oh okay, yeah. He had given me an introduction to one guy named Alejandro Uriarte. He's yeah. The CEO of New Energy, one of the top 4 solar companies on the island. Yeah. And so we just emailed Alejandro and said, "Hey, PJ's coming down. He's great." Can you like give him a desk to work out of or something when he's starting off down there? Yeah. So I met with Alejandro my second day there for two hours. He started giving me a download about what was going on on the island. Right. D- during that conversation, I, I asked him at some point, I said, okay, I'm going to need to know who all your competitors are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need to know who do you know in the legislature? Yeah. <laughs> and then by the end of that conversation, he said, okay, I kind of have a sense of, of what you're doing here. Okay. So I worked out of his office and right. they, those kits all just went to relatives of his employees. Oh, and I just met them and was like, Hey, do you know anybody in the mountains that doesn't have power? And they're all like, yeah, like all my whole family. Everybody. Oh, wow. So I rented a Jeep and they, one by one, like their employees would hop in with me and we would go spend a day driving up in the mountains and give a solar <laughs> kit to their aunt or their cousin. Or, yeah. Cause whatever. I talked to
0: you when you were like literally stuck in a river in a, in a Jeep. I think at some point. <laughs> I, I, I was calling you about something. I can't remember what it was. Um, <laughs> oh, I remember what it was now. I can't talk about that. It. it was about a uh, ballot thing. But um, so was. I mean, do you know if anybody else had this idea? Was anybody else down there doing
1: what you were doing there that was, you know of? There was one other person that had contacted J- Jigger Shaw. Yeah. Her name is Allison Mason. She's from Colorado. Right. She contacted Jigger saying, I think I might come down there and help. And so he put her in touch with me. She raised $3,000 and bought 20 more of the exact same kits that I'd brought down. Okay. So right when I ran out, she arrived and had 20 more, so we gave those out together so as well. So I mean, 3000 divided by 20 is... $150. That's 70. how much these things are. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we, I ended up finding a kit that, that kind of did everything all together that cost $65. Yeah. So I started buying those because uh, that was cheaper, and then I started buying them from the manufacturer... In China, and having them air shipped in, because they were even cheaper, like $30 or something. And then I got to the point where I figured, okay, I can ship them by sea, and it's even cheaper. But little did I know about the international maritime laws and the Chinese anti-dumping tariffs. Oh, yeah. At the moment, I have $50,000 worth of solar kits stuck in the port of San Juan that I'm still looking for a home in another nation for. I think I've about got worked out to send them to Haiti. Where only ten percent of people have electricity <laughs> at all, but that's uh, a year later <laughs> to yeah. figure, figure that out. So, but, like, but this is but your efforts <coughs> since then have expanded. Yeah, yeah. So since then, so as the at some point I set the goal to distribute fifty thousand of these kits. Oh, It seemed like there was there's two hundred thousand houses, and I thought, all right, if everybody doesn't have. There's two hundred thousand houses in Puerto Rico, or like out in the country. Let's see. There's one point five million meters. Maybe there's a million residential meters. Okay. Okay. So somehow, right. I think there. I think at that moment in time, there was two hundred or two hundred fifty thousand houses that still didn't have electricity. And right. I thought, okay. I will deliver solar to fifty thousand of them. Turned out, I delivered one thousand, and by the time I got to one thousand, the the power was coming back on. Oh, I island, see. So the demand was not high. Okay. So what I shifted to is forming the Puerto Rico version of Mosia. Right, which is solar for Puerto Perfect. Rico. Yeah, it was uh, Solar for Puerto Rico is the 501c3, and then we gave birth to this thing that was called SESA, the Solar and Energy yeah. Storage Association of okay. Puerto Rico. So they're sort of sister organizations, okay. 2 nonprofits non-profits. That, That's own. a C6? It's a 501c6, trade yeah. association nonprofit. Yeah,
0: okay. Like MOSIA in Missouri is a C6, so it's all this... Taxed
1: stuff, very much like Mosia. I've contacted Mary and said, "Hey, do you still have a copy of the bylaws?" So i literally <laughs> copied and pasted a lot of no, stuff. That's Mosea. how this stuff
0: works. That, that's, that's 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 good. Uh, so okay, so you have these two groups, and you are more involved with the C three. Uh, I'd or, say I'd say they're equally sized arms. Okay, uh, but you have a big win. Uh,
1: you have a victory in the Puerto Rico. Is it the legislature there? Yeah, the Puerto Rican Legislature. i do not sure when this podcast is going to air, but tomorrow is April 11th, and that is the day. Oh, you're ruining our mystique, but yeah, okay. Oh. No, that's okay. <laughs> you can edit
0: this out <laughs> if you want. <laughs> we have no mystique here. They're signing a bill tomorrow that you were very – would you say you're very instrumental in?
1: Yeah, I, I was not instrumental in the idea for it or the creation of it. Yeah. But when it was filed – I had the solar industry, uh, solar and storage industry mobilized enough that I felt confident in filing an official letter where we opposed it. It was a a 100% renewable portfolio standard, but it was just the shell of an idea. It didn't actually include anything that was going to increase. We actually
0: like caused that to happen.
1: Right. I see. So that turned into uh, getting the solar companies together and saying what needs to be in it and turned into a spreadsheet of all the different changes that we wanted. Right. That turned into turning that 100% renewable energy law into 100% renewable energy law that was very meaningful and addressed uh, a lot of the problems for example in Puerto Rico it's, it takes an average of nine months to get permission from the utility to turn on your solar system <laughs> nine <laughs> for months for residential Wow and over a year and a half for commercial systems because they are there's just one utility company and they don't have to be in a hurry for anything so with this bill we changed it for residential um, residential systems it's instant and automatic. Wow. No, no, you don't even ask permission from the utility. You just inform them with your letter from your licensed electrician or professional engineer, and say this meets all the appropriate codes. And then they have to apply net metering right away. Wow! They can go back and inspect it nine months later if they want to, right? Whenever they want to, but they can't. So who the enforces possible. all that? Is there like a public service commission there? There is, as of four years ago. Okay. It, before that, it was a government. Monopoly that was self-regulating.
0: So they, so basically, <laughs> if you think about
1: a municipal utility, it was basically like yeah. that for the entire island. Yep, it's basically a big municipal utility. Yeah. Okay. So when the
0: when this this regulatory body showed up, did that change how uh, the
1: utility ran, or was it just it just provided oversight? That was the idea for how it would that it would change how utility ran. But it, looking back on it, they created that commission after the utility was past the point of no return with financial ruin. Right. At also the same time that the entire society was past the point of no return with financial ruin. Right. <laughs> so creating a regulator at that moment in time was a really good idea, but in the context of these humongous other things that were going on, it was hard for them to get much traction. Yeah. And there's also, just just imagine, like if... Um, if you didn't ever have a babysitter as a kid, and then one day your parents say, you're going to have a babysitter, do what they say. <laughs> if you're not uh, used to that. you know, uh, so I see. <laughs> right now they are going through their second IRP ever. Oh. The first IRP that they did a few years ago, um, they filed it. It got rejected by the commission. They filed it again. It got rejected. They filed it again. It got rejected. And then ultimately... Everyone just kind of forgot about it. The utility said, "Well, we're <laughs> going to file. We're going to follow our, our IRP." And the commission said, "Well, we never approved it." And then just time went on. There's no wow. The, the, <laughs> here, here's the most bizarre thing about Puerto Rico: the court system doesn't ever come into the conversation. There's not ever a time when people say, okay, well, if all hell breaks loose and we really have to go this way, then let's challenge this decision. Let's take Mm -hmm. it to the court. They have a circuit court, Court of Appeals and a Supreme Court there. But they are widely regarded as just a sort of cronyism mm. thing that's not based on law. Not seen as just or equitable. No, especially, and definitely not in the realm of like energy regulation. Right. <laughs> so you got this brand new regulator and you got no court precedent for challenging anything the regulator is yeah. doing. They, this one thing this uh, 100% renewable energy bill also does is quadruple the budget of this regulator. The idea being, well, if they get $20 million a year instead of $5 million a year, maybe they can do more and have a bigger impact.
0: Sometimes it just makes them lazier is one thing <laughs> I've a,
1: observed. There's a lot of assumptions that aren't necessarily going to – There's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's no mean to be
0: said for being mean and lean. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's just – I don't
1: know. Just imagine <laughs> if New Missouri had a $20 million a year budget. Oh man! Yeah, James had that Tesla. Uh, I'll I'll have a whole <laughs> fleet of Teslas out there. Um,
0: yeah, well, I, was, I, I do wonder that because I, mean, I always like think about like all these things that we should be doing here. Like, well, there's a lot of things we could be doing. But then I think, well, but if we did it, would that make us more efficient? Would that make us less efficient? It's a it's a it's an organizational quandary, mm-hmm. as they like to say. Yeah. So, was question about the hundred percent? When does that have to be done by?
1: Twenty fifty. Which is um, sort of easy to imagine 30 years from now to be 100% renewable energy, it seems like uh, figure out. Didn't
0: I read that you said somewhere like they, they have one coal burning plant on that
1: island and it's going to be retired by 2020? Yeah, it, as, as part of this bill, it requires, it bans coal production as of 2028. And that number was in there because the only coal plant on the island, it produces 17% of the island's electricity. This coal plant does. Uh-huh. This one coal plant It's owned by AES. Yeah. And it's set for retirement in 2027. So the AES wasn't wanting to extend it past retirement. They're right. retiring it then. So they said, okay, let's put it in the law that as soon as you retire that coal plant, there shall be no more coal. Okay. And then two two days ago, the governor of Puerto Rico comes out and says, "You know what? That let's go ahead and end coal production next year, 2020, even even though the law says 2028." As of now, why? There's a very big push to have more natural gas expansion in Puerto Rico. Oh. So I think it's it's sort of like (laughs) let's go ahead and flip this. You know, natural gas is cheaper, so let's let's go ahead and just retire the coal plant quicker and bring in the natural gas. Yeah. Which maybe is a great idea. I don't know. My clean energy advocacy have always been for renewables and efficiency and against nothing. Yeah. And that approach might work in Puerto Rico, or it might be that the natural gas industry gets right in the middle of the path of success. be yeah. I'm to not run. advocating
0: for anything natural gas. I mean, I, and I mean, we're not really at the point where we have to. I think it's in some IRPs, but we're not. It's not a fight we've had yet. It's coming, for sure, in Missouri.
1: So. But I guess it's better than coal, right? I thought that – I had the misconception that it is um, – I, I had the, mis- the thing that I, I now think is a misconception that natural gas is better than coal because it has 50% of the carbon dioxide emissions. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, well, you know, at least it's twice as good for the planet as coal. But it turns out, if you dig down into it, that there's a lot of methane. It, natural gas is just methane gas. Like that marketing. I want you to do a podcast with someone that did that marketing twist. Let's call it natural gas.
0: <laughs> Who was the ad so wizard bad. behind that one?
1: How could you? How could you be against a natural? It's so natural. Like, but it's, it's gas. gas. You know, <laughs> uh, that's what makes me against it.
0: What was I, I mean? am not going to fall for the whims of this marketing wizard. I forgot what I was
1: talking about. (laughs) we got to get that marketing wizard on your show. Yeah, okay.
0: So, okay, so they had to do this by 2050. They're going to retire this uh, coal plant by 2020. Uh, So it seems to me that, I mean, even though they're doing this natural gas conversion – uh, that there's still like going to be a demand to get some, some renewable energy going right now,
1: right, down there? Yeah, which is a lot more complex to get in place. There, there's The utility has, without approval f- approval from the regulator, they have gone ahead and uh, contracted to build enough natural gas to bring the island to 60% natural gas. With, okay. Once this coal is retired, and it is the... Um, it is the announced intention of the governor and of the CEO of the local utility, who is actually friendly to renewables. He comes and meets mm-hmm. with us and asks what he can do to help. And uh, it's their vision that in five years, Puerto Rico is fifty percent natural, or, I'm sorry, sixty percent natural gas and forty percent renewables. Mm-hmm. And so the legislators went ahead and said, all right, so that of the, the RPS says 40% that they go from 2% to 40% renewable <laughs> energy in the next five that's years. That's a leap. It is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure – somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that that's the quickest leap ever in the history of the world. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's, that, go, that
0: seems insurm- – I mean I don't really know <laughs> how you would even adjust for that, especially – because I mean <laughs> and this is a question I imagine people were wondering. I mean, the, the island is still not in great shape. No. I mean, so like to, to do this infrastructure, I mean, you're talking about roads and and ports and everything else, but there's still other, other than electricity,
1: there's other problems there, right? Yeah, yeah the, the utility itself is still in a federal bankruptcy court. Oh, right. So it's not like they can really oh, yeah. invest money in anything. They're wow, this ordered- just keeps getting better and better, uh, right? They're being ordered to sell off all their assets right now. They're being ordered to sell all of all well, the transmission wait, and wait, 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 hold on. Who's,
0: who's going to buy them?
1: There's four qualified bidders. One of them is Duke. Oh. And the other three, uh, I don't know the names of. They're like consortiums of big energy companies. So these are like in the from the from the states. Yeah. So the presumption, the assumption is that uh, one of these utilities will buy the rights to transmission and distribution for seventeen billion dollars. They will buy a holy moly, power company that is nine billion dollars in debt, and their assets are worth about four billion dollars. They come in and buy. So then, all of a sudden, dollars. these people that are in Puerto Rico
0: are going to hit with like massive rate increases.
1: Oh no! Because one provision in this uh, new 100 no. percent renewable energy law says that rates must go down to twenty cents a kilowatt hour. <laughs> they softened that up to say it aspire. They should aspire. They should aspire to keep rates low. Oh, ah, that,
0: that magical voluntary aspiration, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, so I mean, but like that's going to be very hard to do if you're talking about you've bought this debt, you've already paid this money, you have this low level of assets compared to what you put into it. And well, they're not doing this as a charity. You
1: know, and it, so they're paying around 22 cents a kilowatt hour for electricity yeah. now. It's pretty close, actually. Residential, industrial, and commercial are all yeah. 20, 22 cents. And uh, the, the debt, a big thing that's going to impact Puerto Rico is what happens after the 2020 elections. Is there going to be some amount of their debt that's written off or not? Because if not, that $9 billion utility, the ratepayers are just going to have to pay it. Yeah. So the deals that they're making right now look something like this. Everyone's rates go up by another $0.10 cents a kilowatt hour and stay there for 45 years, that's the way they're going to recover all this debt they have to pay back. Meanwhile, all projections for the population of the island is that it's already shrank from 4 million people 10 years ago to 3 million people today, and all predictions are that over the next 20 years it will shrink to 2 million people. So you have less and less customers that are likely going to be there to pay off this legacy debt. It is a, a really big mess. I think what Puerto Rico needs is some sort of revival. They need to some sort of say like, all right, we're gonna, they're going to be better than Costa Rica for ecotourism. They're going to do something to attract manufacturing jobs, and they're just still on this downward spiral economically. And that's only going to make it worse if the rates go up. Yeah, the rates go up. Then, yeah, that's not going to do any favors to attracting manufacturing to the island or no. more jobs. And the right. more, more people leave. The more rates go up for other people. The thing is interesting. Yeah, I think there's because such Costa Rica is amazing. The, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's yeah, amazing. I've, yeah. I've been there because I knew people that went there, and they came back and told me it was amazing. So, yeah. then, so then I went. <laughs> Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico should be. Oh, this isn't my work there, but no. if I stay there long enough. Maybe I'll get involved with it. Yeah, I think Puerto Rico should be marketing themselves as the Costa Rica of the United States. You don't have to have a passport to get there. You can drink when you're 18. So they should be marketing to boy how they, at, yeah, like, colleges. You know, spring yeah. break trips or whatnot. I think they'll do a good job at revitalizing tourism there when I see advertisements for ninety nine dollar round trip tickets from Missouri fly to Puerto Rico like you can to Cancun. Yeah. Just get people there. Yeah. And have it be cheap. But not right money. now. Well <laughs> sometime <Right>? soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they also gotta build up their infrastructure so they can handle more tourism yeah. and maybe fit the, fix the potholes along the way. Yeah. There's I hate a, to tell you it's probably gonna be Trump. <laughs> No. I I just, I don't, I don't... Erase that part out of the podcast, please. don't edit that out. (laughs) Uh,
0: Because I want to be, like, correct when that happens. I mean, I just, I don't know. Incumbents, they win more often than Uh, not. It's a little good history,
1: that's all. So, in relation to what we're talking about now, uh, Trump's own administration has already approved $90 billion to go to Puerto Rico for aid. And but he doesn't like that he doesn't like that so the, the way he's phrasing it is to say like well They already have 90 billion dollars, so don't give them any more money Yeah, but actually there's just been 90 billion approved by Congress and by his administration and he's saying don't give them that money <laughs> so for instance for solar there's already 400 million dollars approved for solar and storage incentives just to subsidize systems by comparison, I think we're maybe $200 million in Missouri that's been spent by the utility rebate programs.
0: Mm, I don't know.
1: I, I think it's somewhere around yeah, I don't the know. ballpark. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me. Sorry. So $400 million, I think, would be about twice as much money as has been spent in Missouri for populations that's half as much. So it's a lot of money that would go to accelerating solar and storage. But it's hard for the industry to know what to do because per what's been approved, that money is going through the housing department, Ben Carson's you know, department of housing. Ah.
0: Noted housing expert, Ben Carson. He's a brain surgeon. I mean, he just, every time he gets up and talks about housing, he's like, I'm not really sure why I'm in this job. <laughs>
1: My dad was always say, like, like, it doesn't take a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon to figure, you know, something out. Well, maybe, maybe, it, maybe this brain surgeon can figure out how to get the $400 million he already approved to actually exist in Puerto Rico. Yeah. It's scheduled to come later this year. Yeah. Third quarter of this year be designed and fourth quarter be administered. Tens of millions of dollars every quarter. Yeah. However, uh, the Trump administration is not uh, letting those funds flow. So... It, it, Say so anyway, what you will about Trump whether he gets reelected, I don't know. Uh, but for Puerto Rico, there's certainly not. Here, here's some interesting tidbit. Yeah. So when the storm happened, when when Hurricane Maria happened, uh, the the only local political figures that were in the news was the mayor of San Juan, Mayor Yulin. who he got into a Twitter fight with. Herman Yulin. Yeah. yeah. She he doesn't like her because she's. Uh, well, I don't know why. Anyway, he does not like her. I mean, she's been
0: critical of the federal government's response.
1: She's been very critical of yeah. the federal government. She wore a T-shirt and saying something like a, a protest against the Trump kind of T-shirt. Yeah. She was just very vocal against the right. federal government not doing a good enough job to help after the hurricane. So right after the hurricane, um, the president was saying that the mayor of San Juan was doing a horrible job, but the governor is doing one heck of a job. The governor of San Juan, or the governor of Puerto Rico, was really doing a great job at stuff. Well, fast forward to a year and a half later, and these federal funds have not really flowed. So uh, January, this is all public. So right, right. right. January, the uh, the governor goes to the press and complains because Trump doesn't take a meeting with him just blows him off. He requests a meeting. There's a gathering of governors. Yeah. It just doesn't respond. So that forces the White House to respond and say, oh, sorry, we didn't get that request. You know? <laughs> the next thing that happens is that he goes to the State of the Union address yeah. as a guest of Chuck Schumer. Oh, boy. <laughs> Crying <laughs> Chuck,
0: as they call him.
1: <laughs> the next thing that happens is that... Um, the, if uh, you notice, the, the first thing that Trump did after the Mueller report dropped a couple of weeks ago, it dropped yeah. on a Friday. Well, it didn't drop. We haven't seen or, it yet. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's and when it was turned into supposedly. the Justice Department,
0: where we got a four page summary that said it didn't exonerate <laughs> him, but then we all were told it exonerated yeah. him. Yeah. I know we're digging into a lot of political stuff here. Forgive me, my Republican supporters listening to this, but. <laughs>
1: So Go ahead. T- the timeline as far as Puerto Rico is interesting because that happened on a Friday. Whatever it was turned in, secret report on a Friday. Yeah, March 23rd. I think it's the only weekend of his presidency that Trump didn't tweet anything yeah. that weekend. He just yeah. wasn't sure what was going to happen. Tuesday, the following week, is when he started saying that, you know, Puerto Rico... You gotta think about it from his perspective. He had to literally shut down the whole federal government because he couldn't get $5 billion for his wall. Right. So he's looking around saying, 20 billion, 90 billion? How come all these billions are going to Puerto Rico? I I think they're getting too much money. That was on the Tuesday after the Mueller report. Yeah, okay. And then Wednesday, uh, he says it again, but doubles down in public and and says, Puerto Rico does not deserve any more money, basically. Thursday, the following day, the governor of Puerto Rico is on CNN for some some other like kind of interview, but they bring up and they say, uh, so what do you think about the president's recent statements about Puerto Rico and funds not going that way? And what he said, uh, th- this whole thing was in Spanish, so there probably yeah. was a little bit of cultural innuendo that was yeah. off, but literally what he said was, in response to that question of what do you think about the president's comments about funding not going to Puerto Rico, he said, when the bully gets close you punch him in the face. how <laughs> 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 so you do it. So you do it. So I think he's trying to be the first governor to get re- to win re-election in 28 years in Puerto Rico. Oh, he's okay. trying to figure out how to position himself as someone that is able as the governor of a territory right to help have things go well so the federal funds that are promised are not coming and I think he's observing Trump and the tactics of like being nice to him not working. Mm. So I think he's trying to hold his ground and yeah. It's I mean, all I, I think
0: you ultimately yeah you can't you, you're not going to gain anything by being nice to him.
1: He always like turns on people who are
0: nice to him, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, this is this is fat. I mean, we've been like talking for like these are usually like 30, 35 minutes. We've been talking way longer. Than that. Oh yeah, I know. So this is a special extended edition of Renew Gurus. <laughs> But this has been very – I mean, we could have done like two of these. Maybe that's what we should have done, one about the history of Renew Missouri, one about what you're doing now. But I want to end this by saying what can people do to learn about what you're doing more in Puerto Rico?
1: Where can they go? Well, there's two websites, the two different nonprofits. One is Rico org, or just yep. search on Facebook for Solar for Puerto Rico. And the other is – uh, it's called SESAPR, sesap org. Okay. And, or you can look up on Facebook the Solar and Energy Storage Association of Puerto Rico. Yeah. That's uh, Actually, the best way to find out what's going on and keep track of it is just follow us on Twitter, follow us on okay. Facebook. We, here's, here's an interesting thing about Puerto Rico. Whenever I've gone into the highest level political meetings, yeah. or the, the, or just like how did I even get in this room with these important people? Because I've seen you
0: like with Bill Clinton. Uh-huh. Who else have I seen you with?
1: Bill Clinton, Mayor Eileen, the governor, um, the CEO of the utility. Yeah. The um, senators that sponsored this bill. Yeah, okay. Just a lot of the... It's a who's who of this uh, policy effort. Uh-huh. Yeah. So one funny thing is at every single one of those meetings, no one has minded a picture being taken at that meeting. Yeah. It's like, if, if it's not on Twitter, it didn't happen. So that's true. Regardless so of how the my meeting life. went, like, do I have to take a picture? <laughs> no one has ever said no. They have a problem with it. Yeah, so really. there's just the whole history is right there, yeah. on our Twitter feed for. So follow you on social media. Follow on social media. the Solar and Energy Storage Association. That's the hottest one right now. You need
0: now. monetary donations.
1: You need donations for
0: equipment. What
1: else? Not equipment, actually. It turns out that uh, when I first went down there, I thought... it'll be at that port in San Juan, bro. (laughs) I heard Bill Clinton say a couple of months ago when he was in town for a conference that he put on. (laughs) Oh. That uh, he put out the statistic and he said, well, disaster relief. uh, We all know that 60% of all donated stuff just ends up in the landfill. I is that right put the palm on my forehead I'm like I kind of wish really? I knew that statistic on the front end yeah just because the inefficiencies I, of miscommunication it's and, really that you know, high you end up with no food when you need food and extra 18 because the food. logistics
0: of this is very tough of like yeah. m- coordinating all this yeah okay Wow yeah.
1: so we don't need donations of equipment or although if people want to donate equipment here's the thing to do if it's of value sell it. Okay. <laughs> and then take the money. Uh, and you don't want to it do it a cars room.
0: for kids sort of thing? Yeah. No. Okay.
1: <laughs> just just <laughs> like like a, a car and then give the money to the kids. Yeah, so. okay. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, if they want to support, there's anyone listening that actually wants to support, then go to solarforpuertorico.org and click on donate. And it's a five hundred one C three nonprofit, so to whatever extent that matters to people anymore, and the new tax oh, code. We've era. done a whole thing about
0: like how that we can maximize your charitable. But me and Elizabeth worked on that. Like we sent out a postcard about how to maximize right. your donations. Um, we'll show it to you.
1: Oh, give me a copy of that, and I'll send it to my Puerto dog Rico on the chain. front of
0: it, so you can use it.
1: Although Puerto Ricans don't pay federal taxes. so They, they don't? They, no. they don't. So they don't get many federal benefits. I did not that. know that. Uh-huh. They have their own version of kind of local 501c3 kind of thing. But d- donors in the United States can get a tax write-off for donating to a 501c3 yeah. nonprofit. That's based in Puerto are, Rico. That's based in Puerto Rico. Fascinating. <laughs> Who knew? So after you've maxed out, what's, what's the maximum donation you could give to Renew Missouri? Oh, it's endless. Okay. After you max uh, out... How, your how your... about
0: perpetual? Is that a number? Okay.
1: <laughs> After... If you're listening to this show and you've maxed out your endless perpetual donations <laughs> to Radio Missouri, then and only then should you go to org oh, no. I mean... and uh, support the work L- Listen,
0: you cheapskates. <laughs> you can support both of us.
1: <laughs> All right. Just double your giving okay.
0: budget. <laughs> I, I shouldn't call... No, you're... You, you, know, you know who I'm talking to when I call you cheapskates. Um... This has been great. You're like my favorite guest so far. I mean, like we, we've been interviewing, like we've been trying to interview more people because I'm, I'm not remotely interesting, so I get interesting people in here. But this has been great. Uh, it's it's great to see you. It's great you're here. Yeah. I would promote why you're here, but remember, we this is going to be like in the future, so I can't do that. But you are going to be speaking at Washington University.
1: Yeah, I'm going to be speaking there to an auditorium, hopefully, full of people. I'm going to keynoting. I've never keynoted anything, but I'll be keynoting. Any, any a jokes? Jacket. i got to come up with something. Do you have any to give me?
0: Uh, we can work on some. That is true. Yeah. I can't. We can't. We Okay, we'll do that later. <laughs> um. All right, PJ Wilson. Okay, the well, man, the myth, the legend. you have something else you want to say?
1: Thank you, James, for running Renew Missouri. I appreciate it. Like... <laughs> I'm running it like my head is
0: cut off. But, yes, we are running it. I've almost been here two years, PJ Wilson. Uh May 28th, 2017 is when my first day was, and that's not very far from now.
1: Right. Well, my my guiding principle towards my later years with Renew Missouri was if you can delegate it, do delegate it. So, perhaps try to do that. One day you'll find yourself have, having delegated everything away, and you'll know it's your time to move on. Yeah,
0: I mean, who knows? I, I have a lot of big ideas for this place, and uh, some of those work, and some of them don't. <laughs> So I mean, you know, we're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. You're still the new guy here. It's just been I am not even two years. Yeah. I yeah, I mean like well honestly it was a big deal when I got the one year because literally before then I had gone through like let me think here, one I gone through four jobs in four years. Ooh. That's no joke. I'd been like a judge for Webster County. That took about a year. I worked for the office administration. That was about a year. I was public counsel for about a year. Well, I guess that's three jobs. But I guess it was the fourth job. And I was like, wow. I, after like a year, I was like, I don't know what to do with myself. Why am I still in this job? Uh, so it's been a hectic uh, It's been a hectic time period in the Owen household.
1: <laughs> now, see, I don't remember you phrasing it that way when you are being interviewed for this job. No, I remember <laughs> – because well, no, you look at my resume
0: and it looked like I, I literally just was just a deadbeat – but then it was all it called be explained that like I mean, well the, the office administration job, that was just something that I got selected to be public counsel after that. And with the judge saying this voters just didn't like that I was a Democrat. <laughs> so I mean that's what happened there. So so yeah, I'm still here. Okay. Barely, but here I am. So Thank you for being the fearest leader for New yeah. Missouri. Thank you for opening up the opportunity for me. This has like been like uh, whenever this isn't a nightmare, it's a total
1: dream. So. Well, it's a thankless job, so call me anytime you need to hear me say thank you. Okay.
0: Now you know, my, my board is great. Uh, they're great about that. So. Okay. All right. so, thank you all for listening. If you like this podcast, put it on your social media feeds yourself. Go to Spotify or go to iTunes. Subscribe to this, write a review, uh, support PJ Wilson, support us, and we'll see you next time on the radio.